It is so good to be able to gather together as the people of God and offer up our worship and our praise to the one who is worthy. Amen. I am so glad that you are in the Lord's house, that you have chosen to be here. We welcome those that are online worshiping with us. I want to invite each of you to take your Bible. Let's begin turning together again to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. As you are turning there and finding your place in Philippians 4, I want to share with you three significant prayer requests. One of them might just hit on in our prayer time, the Christmas gift shop for Shelby Baptist Association. I want to call your attention to these prayer guides. They're in the foyer at the gathering places. It's a seven-day prayer guide. We want to invite you to pick one up and pray alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Already, through the interview process of families qualifying to be part of the Christmas gift shop, there have been six professions of faith even before we start. So we give thanks to the Lord for the power of the gospel. And uh, we do need help continually, so if you want to know how you can fit in at the last minute during the two weeks of, of activity of the Christmas gift shop, contact our church office, or even better, contact the Shelby Baptist Association, and they can tell you where they need the help the most. But pick these up. Secondly, I want to call your attention to something uh, that, that is a special emphasis in the life of Alabama Baptists today. It's called Alcap Sunday. In fact, it's called the Ireland Godfrey Alcap Sunday. And so we are honoring through Alabama Baptist Life almost 40 years of stellar leadership from Dan Ireland, our founder, to Joe Godfrey that served for almost 15 years and leading us, Alabama Citizens Action Program, Alcap. This is our advocate in Montgomery building relationships with our legislators, those that have influence in making decisions, standing for a biblical worldview, moral values that are important to us. And now Greg Davis is our president and CEO of ALCAP. And so we want you, we want to take time to pray for that ministry. It is critical. It's interdenominational, but it's Southern Baptist driven based on what we believe the Bible to say. And uh, alcap.com, alcap.com, encourage you to go on there, learn about uh, their ministry, sign up for their email prompts. And through those email prompts, when legislation is in session, they tell you what is going on, how to pray, and prompt you to communicate with your legislators so that they can hear from us things that matter to our heartbeat and the more values that matter in our society. So ALCAP Sunday is today, and it is uh, joining forces with the beginning of our Alabama Baptist State Convention. This year is our bicentennial, 200 years of Great Commission ministry through Alabama Baptist. What began, yes, all, absolutely. What began in 1823, God is continuing today in 2023 through people like you and me and our prayers that we want to be faithful stewards of the gospel and that we will carry that torch well. So let's pause. I want to pray for these ministries and ask that you continue that prayer going through the week ahead. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks again for the day that you blessed us with. 
we pray for the ministry of Christmas Gift Shop. I particularly lift up Rebecca, Father, as she is uh, manning the logistics and the last-minute details. We rejoice over the six professions of faith. And, Father, now I pray that, that when families who have signed up come, that as they shop for their children, that they will hear the greatest news ever of the good news of Jesus. We pray for a great harvest of souls so that their Christmas could be forever changed and that they'll never see Christmas quite the same. And we pray this will be passed from one generation to the next. Thank you for the heartbeat of a Shelby Baptist Association that desires to impact families in our area with the good news of Christ. Father, I thank you for Alcap. I thank you for our founder, Dan Ireland, who was such a powerful servant of Jesus and that he built relationships with lawmakers. He carried the torch of truth. He stood strong in the midst of adversity. And thank you for that foundation that he laid. Thank you for Joe Godfrey and his ministry after Dan and Father for his good stewardship of the gospel for his persistent faith in Montgomery, for the favor and the leverage that you blessed him to have. And Father, now we pray for Greg Davis as he leads us well. We pray we'll still have listening ears in Montgomery. We pray for good relationships with lawmakers. But Father, we pray for favor to leverage values that are pleasing to you as laws are considered and bills are passed and decisions are made. And so, Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity, and we pray that on this Alcap Sunday, many prayers will go up. I pray, Father, that the, the army will be mobilized and multiplied, that there will be more in the know signing up on the email and prayer warriors and even financial givers. I thank you that as a church, we can give a little bit every month. But, Father, I thank you that you will raise up others to fuel the financial need of such a critical ministry. I thank you, Father, for Alabama Baptist. What a joy they have been to me. I've grown up as an Alabama Baptist. People who loved you shared with me the good news of the gospel. I was discipled in Alabama Baptist churches by men and women who were Alabama Baptist. And Father, I thank you for the history of 200 years of gospel ministry. But what you began 200 years ago continues, and it's unfinished today, and now help us stand in the gap and be faithful stewards of the gospel. Be with our convention as we gather, the messengers as they come together. May we celebrate where we've been, and Father, may we anticipate your power as we go forward. So, Father, we thank you. We can pause. Together we can pray and ask for your favor upon these ministries continually. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, uh, Philippians chapter 4, getting back there. Last week we talked about anxiety and worry and God's peace that passes all understanding. You remember what Paul said in those familiar passages, verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with 
thanksgiving. Let your requests be made to know, known to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I pray that this week you have leaned into that peace that God provides through Jesus Christ because it is available for every child of God. Now, in our passage this morning, we in verse 11, we hear the apostle Paul say, for I have learned in whatever state I am or through whatever circumstance life has brought me to, to be content. Paul has just dropped in our laps two virtues, peace that passes all understanding and contentment in all of life's circumstances. Peace and contentment. It's just like taking a deep breath and exhaling when you say those words, right? That just kind of roll off your tongue in a soothing kind of way. Peace and contentment. In your life and in mine and the life of those around us, these are two of the most desired virtues by any people anywhere. However, these two virtues are two of the most elusive virtues in our life. They are not elusive because they cannot be obtained. Rather, they are elusive because we look for peace and contentment in all the wrong places. And through Paul's testimony, we're going to find the right place to look for it. But in our world, even among children of God, we pursue the money and the possessions, the power, the prestige, the popularity, the relationships, the jobs, freedom from adversity. If I could just be free from these different circumstances, then I could have peace and contentment. Well, Paul's already reminded us that this peace that passes all understanding has a source with two words. He identified that source. It is of God. This peace comes from the God of peace who supplies peace that passes all understanding. This peace is found through the person of peace, the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus Christ. And only when we have peace with God vertically, through Christ Jesus, can we experience the peace of God in the midst of life's circumstances, no matter what they are. Only in Christ can we experience peace that passes all understanding, guarding, standing guard through every circumstance, our hearts and minds. Paul says it's this peace that passes all understanding, and in Christ, here's the promise, it will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But what about contentment? When we think about contentment, we, we try to wrap around what in the world is this thing called contentment? If you look it up uh, in just a regular dictionary, there are two words that are going to be prominent in every definition, happiness and satisfaction. Contentment is happiness and satisfaction. Very shallow definitions. They fall way short of what Paul is talking about when we talk about contentment. Contentment's deeper than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. Circumstances change, your happiness and your happy meter is going to change. But through joy that is rooted in Christ... You can still have joy and rejoice even in the midst of adversity. 
And so the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs offered a Christian definition of contentment. He said this, Christian contentment is that sweet, notice the words, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit. Sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal or provision in every condition. In other words, it's that attitude that God has this. It's that attitude that in Christ we find sufficiency. Someone else defined it this way, that contentment is an inner sense of rest or a peace that comes from being right with God vertically and then knowing that he is in control over everything that is happening. The Bible not only identifies contentment as this virtue along with peace, but the Bible commands us to be content. Hebrews 13.5, and we'll come back to it in a few minutes. Hebrews 13.5 says, be content with what you have. It doesn't say in the good times. It doesn't say in the bad times. It says in the present time. Be content with what you have. Let's just call a time out. Let's reflect. Where are you this morning? When you walked in this morning, where were you in this attitude of contentment? Paul spends three verses in our four-verse paragraph that we're about to read talking about contentment. Keep in mind as we read it, the philosophies of his day define contentment as a self-sufficiency, being independent of anybody else's help. In other words, I can do this all by myself. Now, that's the culture aspect that Paul is living in about contentment. He flips that, and he really says, I am weak, but in Christ, I am strong. And what Paul is defining as contentment is not self-sufficiency, but a Christ-sufficiency. Our contentment, like our peace, is rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 is our text. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to stretch and stand and on the reading of God's Word. Look at what Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? Content. There it is. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Probably the most popular verse in Philippians. Many of us have put it to memory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, teach us truth. By your Spirit, apply to our life so that when we leave, we will be a step forward in this contentment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
The church in Philippi has just sent the Apostle Paul a financial gift. In this letter, Paul is wanting to acknowledge the gift and send a thank you for their generosity. But at the same time, he doesn't want to give the impression that the Lord has not been sufficient in his time of need. And even though he had been in a very difficult situation, verse 14 calls it affliction or distress. He doesn't want these fellow believers to think for a minute that at any moment he has been discontent before their gift that was needed arrived. He does want them to know that their generosity was much appreciated. So he combines his gratitude with this valuable lesson on the secret of contentment. So Paul is doing two things. He's thanking them for the gift, and he's teaching them about true contentment. And so for us, he's doing the same thing. Now, contentment, like that subject last week, worry or anxiety, lacking contentment, discontentment is a heart issue. Just like anxiety and worry is a heart issue, to be discontent is a matter of the heart. And so I just asked you, how were you when you walked in? Let's say we have a contentment meter, one to 10. One is I'm not content about anything at all. Five is uh, about 50-50. Half the time I can be content in my mindset in Christ, but half the time I, I have to confess. I have anxiety, I'm discontent, I wish things were different than they were. Or 10, hey, I am perfectly content in Christ. Where would you say you land this morning as we learn about contentment? It's okay to be honest because that's how the Holy Spirit takes us forward. The child of God who has peace with God and remembers who he is, whose we are, and what God has said about us, his children, and what he's going to provide allows us to be content. Our contentment is based upon who our Father is. Our contentment is based upon whose we are in Christ. We're his children. Our contentment comes on the basis of what God's word, truth, says about him, about us, and what he is going to provide for us. So contentment is not simply settling for what we have, but it is trusting God in the midst of where we are. Not just settling, but trusting God in the midst for where we are. That's why Paul said, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment was rare in Paul's day, and it is equally rare in our day. Would you say amen to that? As a child of God, do we struggle with contentment? I do, and Mondays can be rough on contentment, but we all struggle with it. But if we belong to Christ, and we do, like Paul, we can and we should learn contentment in Christ. In this passage, Paul gives us a glimpse of a heart that is content, the heart of Paul. And so on your notes, there are three main points that describe this heart. The content heart, number one, verse 10, is a rejoicing heart. Remember, 10 years has passed since Paul's ministry in Philippi, and the result of him being in Philippi was they heard, they received, they believed the gospel, and a church was born. 
A relationship began with these believers that was near and dear to the heart of the Apostle Paul. The Philippians loved him as their father in the ministry. They generously prayed for him and financially supported him. Even when he left Philippi and he ministered through other cities in Macedonia like Thessalonica and Berea. Acts chapter 17, you can read of their support. When Paul moved south to Achaia, the Philippians continued their support to him in cities like Athens and Corinth, Acts 17 and 18. But as the years passed, their, their care and compassion for Paul remained consistent, but their opportunity to send financial help to him was waning a little bit. They lacked opportunity, and we're not told what that means, and so there's no reason to guess about what that means other than they cared, but they lacked opportunity to send another gift. Now, after some time has elapsed, we don't know how long, arrives Epaphroditus from Philippi with a financial gift. You remember, he almost died bringing that gift to them. And so as he arrived in Rome, he brought to Paul greetings from those brothers and sisters that they love you, they're concerned about you, they're caring for you, and here is another financial gift. Keep in mind, as, as he receives that, when you were a prisoner in Rome or a prisoner during this time, you were responsible for all of your financial needs. But you're in prison. You have no means of income. So you're totally dependent on others, whether it's family or friends, to bring support to you to help you through this time. And so Paphroditus comes with a financial gift and a welcome from the believers in Philippi. And now what do we see in verse 10? Paul is rejoicing yet again. This is the third main time in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 4, and now verse 10 of chapter 4 that Paul is rejoicing. He is rejoicing always in the Lord. This time's a little bit different. He adds a, a phrase, an adverb that he says, I am rejoicing in the Lord greatly. Megalos in the Greek, greatly. Why is Paul so happy? Why is he so thrilled? Well, he goes on to tell us why he is so happy and rejoicing in the Lord greatly. It's this phrase, that, that now, at last, your care or your concern for me has flourished again, has revived again. Now, that word translated care or concern is familiar. It's repeated throughout the letter of Philippians. It's phreneo, and it means to think on behalf of me and to share this mindset that we have in Christ. Uh, I rejoice greatly in the Lord for your compassion, for your care, for your concern for me. He never doubted that. And then he said, this gift reminds me that, that your care and concern for me has flourished again, has revived. And the Greek word there describes a perennial plant that has gone dormant during the winter and then begins to bud and blossom again in the spring. And so as Paul talks about their gift to him, he said, what was blooming and budding and blossoming in my life, your constant gift financially to me, it went dormant for a little while, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I knew you cared about me. I knew you loved me. I knew you had compassion. But now through Epaphroditus, I see that gift flourishing again. So Paul is rejoicing in the Lord 
for their generosity. Though Paul received a generous and needed financial gift from believers in Philippi, he understood what we all need to understand is that every, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. It came through Epaphroditus. It came from the believers in Philippi, but ultimately it was their heavenly father that stirred their heart with a love for Paul through sacrificial giving because they gave out of poverty that they sent this gift to Paul. Paul's joyful attitude reflects his patient confidence that God will provide. He was certain that his heavenly father in due time would see him through. That is a good testimony for us. You may be in a valley today. None of us are chained to a Roman guard under house arrest with minimal means. But all of us go through seasons in life, many of them difficult times. Hear the testimony of Paul in the midst of life that's not where he wanted it to be, in the midst of life that was very limiting on him, in the midst of life in where he was totally dependent upon others. At their mercy, he is still rejoicing in the Lord because he believes that his God is able, and he believes not only is he able, but he believes his God will see him through. But you remember what he said in chapter one, for to me, to live is Christ. It's all about Jesus. But to die is what? Gain, because I'm going to see him face to face. Oh, dear children of God, we like Paul can have a rejoicing heart no matter what the circumstances, because our God is able and our God will come through for us. May not be like we want it, But Paul understood he works all things according to his good purpose. He allows us to go through adversity to grow us and conform us into the image of his son and to even allow us in the midst of hardship and adversity that even the pagans and unbelievers might experience, but you go through it different because you have a savior who is sufficient. Sometimes he allows it for our own growth And he allows it so that our witness can minister to others. Life circumstances change constantly. But the eternal purposes and character of our Father never changes. The source of Paul's joy was in the Lord. And so may we, like Paul, rejoice in the Lord in the midst of all circumstances, really, 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 really believing that Jesus Christ is enough. In your grief. He's enough. In your health crisis, he's enough. In your financial crisis or loss of job, he is enough. In our relationship crises, he is enough. He's worthy to be trusted. It was Corey Tim Boom who said it this way, you may never know that Jesus is all you need, You know the rest of it, until Jesus is all that you have. Paul's being reminded again and again and again as he is locked down with a Roman guard under house arrest and he cannot go forward. He is reminding that in that setting, his Christ was enough. 
Paul understood that Jesus was indeed all you need. Two things overflowed out of his heart. Gratitude. How do we stop worrying and experience the peace of God? Stop worrying, start praying, making your request known to God with thanksgiving. Philippians, or 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in all things give thanks. Not for, but in. Paul also overflowed a rejoicing heart because he knew he could trust his father. He was a trustworthy heavenly father. Two things we need for a rejoicing heart. Gratitude for what God already has done. Gratitude for what he promises yet to do. And trust that he's on the throne. He sees you. He knows you. He has a plan for you. And this too will pass for his glory. Number two, not only did Paul have a rejoicing heart, verses 11 and 12 said he had a satisfied heart, a heart that was satisfied. Lest the Philippians misunderstood his statement in verse 10, Paul quickly added this disclaimer in verses 11 and 12. He did not mean to imply that he spoke from want when he thanked them for their gift. In fact, he wanted them to hear, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I've found myself. His situation was not easy. It was difficult. Paul was not discontent in the midst of his imprisonment. It did not matter that he was a prisoner living in a small apartment chained to a Roman soldier on a minimum diet. He still rejoiced in the Lord. He was still satisfied in Jesus. It's interesting, pay attention to the verbs. We don't see it and feel it in English sometimes, but in the Greek, it's rich right here. The verb learned means learned by experience. Paul's spiritual contentment was not something he had had immediately when he was saved on the road to Damascus. He said, I have learned to be content. And so here's an, an aha moment for you and I as children of God. We're all still learning to be content. We're not there yet. If you said you're a 10 out of 10, I want to meet you after the service. Paul had to go through many difficult experiences of life in order to learn how to be content. The two verbs are this. The first one is montano, and it's translated learn in verse 11. That is a discipleship term, montano and mathetes. Mathetes is disciple, a pupil, a learner. Montano comes from that same word, and it means to learn. It means to grow. It means to understand. And so uh, Paul said in verse 11, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. And then in verse 12, it's translated learned again, uh, but it, it's a different Greek word. It, it's it's myo, and, and in that word, it, it's really... A, a word in their culture that was connected to an initiation process in some of their religions, that they went through a process of initiation to belong to those religions. Paul took their word and gave it new meaning, and here's what he said. Through life's experiences, I've been initiated into the contentment I have in Christ. I have learned through the experiences that I've gone through, the good ones, the where I had plenty, and the difficult ones when I didn't have enough. But in the midst of all of them, from A to Z and all in between, I have learned to be content. The Greek word translated content appears only here in the New Testament. 
Again, I said in the extra biblical mindset, it meant to be self-sufficient and independent. Paul flips that and he says, no, I have learned to be content by being weak and putting my trust in a Savior who can. That in my weakness, he is strong. In the remainder of the text, Paul expounds on the dynamics of his contentment and the beautifully balanced rhythmic type phrases, I know how to be brought low. That connects to Philippians chapter 2. When Jesus was brought low, he emptied himself, became obedient, even death on the cross. There's a connection there in language. I know how to be brought low, humiliated like our Savior was, and I know how to abound, and I know how to be full, and I know how to be hungry. I know how to have abundance and how to have need. And so Paul is saying, I have been able to be steady through the ups and downs of circumstances because what gives me contentment is a personal relationship in a living Savior, not in the circumstances of life. And that Savior remains the same no matter if I have plenty or if I have little. Paul said, I know. He has learned to be content by trusting God in hard times. Literally, he says, I know how to get along when it's good, and I know how to get along when it's tough. Here's the question for you and me. Do we know how to get along with contentment, with peace that passes all understanding, and with that inner peace that God's got this? He hasn't failed yet, and he's not going to start now. We need to understand Life may be hard. It may not be good. We may wish it were different, but it's not. But Jesus is sufficient. We learn that. You know how we learn it? By experiencing that. That when we're at our wit's end, and we're weak and we cannot change a thing, that in that moment of weakness, like Paul in 2 Corinthians, that we can boast in our weakness because in that weak moment, then my Jesus stands strong. Contentment is not dependent on circumstances. Paul stresses this in the text of verses 11 and 12. More stuff won't bring you more contentment. Neither will less stuff. A change in circumstance is not going to bring you contentment. If you're not content where you are, you're not going to be content where you go. And many times we spend many a day wishing life were different. And that's fair. That's okay. We can't help but feel that sometimes. But when we get there, that's when we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And to know that if he has allowed us to get here, then he's got a purpose for us being here, and we need to cast our care upon him, knowing he cares for us, and allow him to see us through for his glory, so that in the midst of that darkness, we can be a light for his glory, not in our own strength or intellect, but in the power of his might that is at work within us. Twice, Paul said he's learned contentment. 
Contentment was not automatic for Paul, and it's not automatic for us. Through many experiences, Paul learned that Christ was enough. He knew abundance, and he knew adversity. You can just read out of Corinthians over and over again. If we had time, we would, but I'm not, about all of Paul's adversity. He had all kinds of activities that were adverse. Just suffice it to say, he knew what it was like to have much and to have little and to sleep in the cold and to sleep in the warm. Contentment is learned through exposure to times of needs and times of plenty. It involves regular struggle to believe that Christ is enough. It involves us going through the school of need and the school of plenty. Both schools have various tests for our contentment. Paul learned to be satisfied, are you ready for this, with what he had. Write down 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. You've heard that, right? But hear this. Paul, Paul said to Timothy, We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, if you have those, Timothy, be content. Hey, church, hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we have food and clothing with these things, be content. Paul also learned to live above his circumstances. Write down 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He could be satisfied from his heart outward because he, he was satisfied with what he had, and he lived above his circumstances, not below them. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. We also should learn to take pleasure in the power of Christ in times of distress. If you're in one of those places, very uncomfortable, hard places, Know that Christ is there with you. And know that he is sufficient to see you through. Cast your care upon him. Be satisfied in him and wait and see what God will do. Number three, the content heart is a dependent heart. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's one of the most frequently quoted verses in the Bible, probably the most well-known verse in Philippians. Paul depended on Christ for his strength. The expression, through him who gives me strength, clearly refers to the indwelling power of Christ in Paul, and that Paul could accomplish all that God wanted him to, not through Paul's strength, but through Christ. So what is the secret of contentment? He tells us in verse 13. Christian contentment is rooted in our relationship with Jesus. It flows from our union and communion with our Savior. This verse, verse 13, is ultimately not a verse about strength. Ultimately, for you and me, as well as Paul, it is a verse about weakness that leads to our strength. So if we memorize Philippians 4.13 and we go out and say, I can do, I can do, I can do, then we get it wrong. Many an athlete has claimed Philippians 4.13. I was one of those in high school. It's written on the bill of my cap. 
Philippians 4.13, Tim Tebow back in the day, Philippians 4.13, at one time it was the most Googled Bible verse around when he was popular in playing. As one commentator say, said, he said, he said, Paul is not saying I can break these chains from my bond, I can body slam these guards, and I can run out of this prison with 4-4 four, four speed through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what he was saying. Paul is saying, I can't do anything. I am weak and I'm helpless without Jesus and I am totally dependent upon him, but in him I can do all things. Really, a better translation is I can do all these things because that verse, verse 13, needs to be interpreted by the previous verses, 11 and 12. And everything you see in verse 11 and 12, from the good to the bad and all in between, all these things, Paul says, I can go through all these things through Christ who gives me strength. Where you are and the adversity that life is bringing, and the difficulty that tempts us to be discontent with where we are, just know this. It's not about your strength. It's the strength of the God at work within you to enable you to make it through, not just survive till Friday, but thrive every single day for God's glory. Paul said, I've learned to be content. He learned through a rejoicing heart. He learned through a satisfied heart, but he also learned through a dependent heart. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Here's the big version of what I quoted a while ago. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. He doesn't stop. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hey, did you get it? So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, good memory verse. Paul is saying that through Christ, he is able to be content in every situation. This is the secret. Verse 13, Christ is enough. Christ empowers us to be content. You can be confident that Christ brings you, if he brings you to it, he is going to see you through it. Paul learned to depend on God's power and God's provision for every circumstance that he was in. You cannot know contentment today unless you know him as your savior. You're not ever gonna have peace that passes all understanding unless you have peace vertically with God through Christ. But the good news is he stands with open arms. In your discontentment, in your unpeaceful life, will you come to Jesus and will you find peace and contentment in Christ? How do you come? Just like you are. Broken and tired of being miserable and being weighted down with your guilt. And just say, oh, dear Jesus, have mercy on me. He died on the cross and shed his blood to set you free. He was buried and rose again from the dead so that he could give you life. And he can give you peace. And he can give you contentment. Now, to every child of God, stop worrying. Start praying. Making your quest known to God with thanksgiving. 
so that that peace of God can guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And where you are, palms up, surrender in those circumstances and say, oh, dear Jesus, I can't. But in all these things, I can in you for your glory. Surrender it to him. Let's pray. Father, we need you by your spirit to guide us. Help us to see ourselves where we are. Help us to hear our conversations that reflect our heart, our attitude that reflects our heart. Help us to be honest with you because you know anyway. And by your grace and through your power that is at work within us, draw us closer. Father, if we walked in just ill and discontented because of life and the junk that life has to offer, may we look up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and focus on him. And remember what you've already done for us in Christ or hear what you promised to do in Christ and find that peace and find that contentment to trust you in the midst of a craziness that we don't understand, in the midst of adversity that we can't bear alone, but you didn't ask us to. So may we cast that burden, care upon you, knowing as we do, you care for us. You know us by name. You number the hair upon our head. You hold us in the palm of your hand. You're a good father. You know how to give good gifts to your children. You may allow adversity to come, but you got a purpose in the chaos. Part of that is teaching us to be dependent upon you when we're out of strength. So in our weakness, make us strong in Christ. Help that contentment to be a witness to people around us that don't know Jesus. But Father, we need you. We need that contentment. And we need that peace so that we can be your messengers who lead boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So Father, help us to surrender to your good work in, in, in us, in and through every circumstance. And let it be for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.